Welcome to Coach to Scale, how modern leaders build coaching cultures. I'm your host, Matt Benelli. Join me as we build a community of like-minded professionals who share the belief that effective coaching improves the performance of every team member. Our mission is to help leaders become better coaches. The Coach to Scale podcast is sponsored by Coachem, the world's first AI coaching execution platform that leverages evidence-based coaching to increase quota attainment. And with that, let's get started. Hello, I'm excited to have today's guest on the show, someone I've known for a long time and watched him grow his career and do it his own way. I think you'll love the way this person talks about the business. Uh, He's one of the most thoughtful people in terms of what we do, how we do it, and how we do it better, how we become the best versions of ourselves. And he's lived that throughout his career working at marquee companies like SAP, EMC, Oracle, Galvanize. He's the co-host and co-founder of The Rally Call. It's a podcast that helps technology salespeople have more enjoyable careers. And what's more important than that? Currently, he's AVP at Absolute Software. John Feldman, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me, Matt. I'm really excited to be here. All right. Excited to have you. Let's uh, let's get right into it. You have a podcast. I have a podcast. We're trying to help other people there, and we're talking about things that are important to us and, and we believe are important to other people. We're talking about coaching. We're talking about developing salespeople. So with that, uh, I'll throw a question over to you, and it's really a myth buster type question, John. What is a common myth about coaching salespeople or sales leaders that you think is somewhat misguided or misunderstood? I think one of the biggest myths in the sales profession is that sales professionals do not need continuous learning. They do. The myth persists, in my opinion, because AEs get a level of success and that, that, that they're happy with, and then they rest on their laurels and they don't want to change their game for fear that it might change their results for the negative. And it's a mindset thing. But coachability in this game is a key DNA of any successful rep. It's, it's a game changer. And this game changes very quickly. So your, your skills need to be sharpened and you also need to add new ones as you go. And if you have that mindset that you don't know everything, that there's a lot of other tactics and strategies that you can learn to become better, I think that uh, you will have a, a longer lasting, more successful career. So the way I'm processing what you're saying, John, is you have that um, a younger, you know, less experienced salesperson, and he or she puts themselves in the category of a veteran. You know, they've been doing this for five years. They've had success. Like, hey, I've got this thing nailed down. I know what I'm doing, uh, and they may not be open to growing and, and continuously sharpening the saw, which is which is required. Uh, is that kind of what you're saying? That's exactly what I'm saying. And it's not only the young ones, it's the veterans as well. I mean, there's the in tech sales, the experience level spans, you know, five, six, 10, 20, 25 years. But everybody needs to have this mindset because if you're not you're not growing, you're gonna get stale in this industry and things change fast. 
And I, I can, I, you probably hear these too, but if you talk about the folks that are more experienced uh, and at, in this environment, they're struggling, right? They're falling, they're falling behind. Companies are, you know, they don't care about your age. They care about your level of innovation, your ability to bring it. You know, what have you done to develop yourself lately? Not what's this class or book you read, uh, you know, 20 years ago. It's like, wh what are you doing right now? I don't know if you're seeing that at all. I am seeing that uh, as well. And there's a lot of sellers out there who still have the mindset that they sell features and functions, and they have not been yet trained to understand that we sell outcomes. We sell value-based outcomes. And when you make that mind switch, you start to forget that your product does this, or there's a feature that does that. You're focused on what's the business problem why is it impacting the business in a negative way if it's impacting the business in a negative way? And if they fixed it, what would be the benefits of fixing it? And then looking at the gap and saying, there's a big gap here. Do you or do you not want to move forward? Um, but I, I mean, I shouldn't say this, but sometimes when you're listening to calls and you're, and you're, you're doing your review and it's feature based, feature based, feature based, you just want to go like, hold on, we got to stop here. Something's not resonating. It's not about features. It's about the position that the company is in and how you help them get out of it. So, but can you blame people? I mean, think about all of the product training that is done in uh, for sales teams versus the other types of development. I don't know what your thoughts are there, but it's heavily, heavily, heavily focused on product. Yes. And that's, that's one of the biggest problems. And what's actually quite interesting is I'm going to sound old when I say this, but back in my era, it was all product training, product training. So we actually were, uh, we, we, we did the problem. We made the problem, but in this era, I mean, you, you have like directors of sales enablement and VPs of sales enablement, and they're coming at it from a, from a stronger coaching level and focusing on those values, but it's not every company that does this. There's still a lot of companies that focus on what the product does and why it's so great. So I, I am seeing a shift in the industry where we're going from that product-based sales training to having very capable VPs of sales enablement that are, that are focused on training on sales methodologies and business outcomes and the current situation of an organization and how we can help them. So there is a shift. Uh, but that being said, it's not easy for the average seller to make that shift. So they default to the product training because frankly, it's easier to talk about the product than it is to focus on having a business conversation with a prospect. And the business conversation, you know, really is about what, what they're buying, right? So they're not buying the product, right? They're, they're buying the solution to the problem that they have. And I've heard you tell the story, um, about, uh, the hammer, um, you know, is the, the, they buying the hammer, um, or are they buying something else? Uh, do you want to, you want to talk about that? I just, I love the analogy. Sure. So one of the analogies I use, as I say, you know, does anybody ever go into home hardware? And, uh, is that a plug for home hardware that I did anyway, in its home Depot in, in the U S oh, John's in John's in Canada. Does a anybody ever go into a home Depot and buy a hammer? And usually they say, yeah, they go, they go in and buy a hammer. And I say, well, do they really go and buy a hammer? Like, what are they buying the hammer for? 
oh, well, they're going to go and they're going to build a fence. Oh, okay. So are they buying the fence or are they buying the hammer? Oh, so I guess they're buying the fence. And I say, well, but are they really building a fence? What are they building? Well, they're building security and privacy at their home. And I said, now you get it. When someone goes in and buys a hammer and buys the nails and buy the wood, those are just the tools that are going to get them the value that they want. And the value that they want is the privacy and serenity of their own yard and the safety and security. The outcome of what they buy, not the things that they buy. We, we, people, uh, customers buy outcomes and, oh, by the way, what do they want to talk about? They want to talk about the security and their privacy and the stuff that matters to them. They don't want to talk about the bits and bytes of, of the product. Um, we, we know that. Well, I Think about it this way. If someone knocked on your door and said, Hey, do you want to, um, buy some hammer nails and some wood? You'd be like, uh, no, I'm good. Thanks. But what if they knocked on your door and said, Hey, I'd like to increase the security and privacy of your home. And I have an easy way to, to, to do that. Um, I've noticed that your fence is pretty rickety, could probably put up a new one very quickly and give you that privacy and serenity that you've been looking for. How does that sound? A lot better than do you want to buy a hammer and nails? Yeah. Uh, will you give me a 50% discount? Okay. Anyway, moving right along. <laughs> so you're talking about the importance of, of culture and, and really trying to change the culture and have it more focused on the stuff that works versus the stuff that you know, may have worked years ago that no longer works as well. Um, when you're talking about building this coaching culture, is there a framework you use, something to guide you? Well, the hiring number one is, is, is key. And not to say that we that we have this nailed, but we're getting better at it. And we're focusing on four capabilities right now. Coachability, urgency, resiliency, and curiosity. And we look for those four pillars and we ask questions based on those four pillars so that we can really get the candidate that we think who has those and we know that they're going to be successful. We also invest in a lot of tools right now. Everybody is, is using some sort of sales enablement tool um, like Gong. Gong is fantastic. And I like to say that we live in the evidence era of sales. Everything we do is recorded and everything we do is, is captured. So there's a lot of data out there that can be used to upskill good talent. But, but you have to come at it and let your team know that, hey, we're not putting these tools in so we can be cop and point out what you what is not working or what you're you're doing wrong it's about looking what you're doing and pointing you in the direction of how you can be better and how you can be more effective and look when we first brought gong and people were like oh they're recording our calls now have we got to the point where they're recording our calls and i said look you can look at it that way or you can look at it the way that hey they're recording our calls maybe i don't have to take so much rigorous notes and not be active listening as i should be and now I'll be able to go back and listen to think and where I could have asked a different question or where I could have gotten better. That's, that's the culture that we're trying to put in. Game film. It's watching game film. Um, 100%. Putting in uh, athletic parlance. So um, coachability, urgency, resiliency, curiosity. Uh, of the four, uh, which one is... I don't want to say more important, but you know, which one are you, do you find yourself focusing more on these days? And how do you cull that out in an interview? Oh, you could make an argument for any one of those four, but I mean. How about curiosity? How about curiosity? 
because we hear that, oh, I need to be curious. Like, how, how do I, if I'm interviewing um, or if I'm really trying to be more curious, like, what's the evidence of that? How, how, do, I, how do I express that? You, well, one of the questions that I ask is, so, you know, what do you know about our company? What do we do? Who are some of the customers that we have? How long have we been in business for? We're publicly traded. So I might ask some questions in regards to our finances. Um, I would also ask, hey, what do you know about me? Because LinkedIn's available, right? And it's amazing. And some interviews are like, I know everything about this. I know that you have a podcast. I've listened to these episodes. I really like this point. So if someone's going that extra mile to be prepared and is curious about the person that they're talking to, that's a very good sign. But I have curiosity in there um, for the reason that I, I look at, at, at a prospect or a business problem like a watch. One cog turns a dial, which turns the wheel. And if those things aren't in sync, there's problems in the business. And I like to, to, to get people to understand that if they have a really, really good understanding of the watch and the dial and the cogs and they know where things are breaking, it's then and only then that, uh, that they can offer solutions because they understand the problem. So for me, I, I'm a big fan of the curiosity. I'm a big fan of all of them. And then I can talk about resiliency because, man, if you don't have grit in this game, it's going to eat you up and spit you out. And um, so urgency. Talk a little bit about that. It's, uh, I've been watching this show, The Bear. Um, it's all about, yeah, yeah. yeah, you see that. And then, um, we were at a restaurant out in, uh, in Napa Valley and we got brought into the kitchen and under that, under the kitchen, this, you know, famous restaurant, you know, supposed to be this awesome chef. It's a you know, sense of urgency. And, uh, you know, so that's a, a topic, right? How do we do more? How do we do faster? Like, what does urgency mean to you? And why is it important? Uh, urgency for me is that you've built out a plan. You've looked at it. And you are going to tackle and achieve that plan in any way possible that you can. You own it. Urgency for me is somebody who has that sort of self-starter attitude that does not make excuses and that is going to sign up for activities and things to get done and hit them. And I'll give you a perfect example. It's quarter end. You've got a deal. You just got the red lines. That AE who has urgency is in at 6.30 in the morning because they know that legal comes in at 6.45 and you want to be the first person at the desk to say, I just got these red lines. Could you look at them now? That's urgency. Or anticipating what a customer might need and getting ahead of it and being overprepared for the next part. That's urgency. It's, 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 having a, a, a large transaction or a transaction that is a difference maker to you and bringing in all of the people in the organization who can help uh, get that deal across the line for the sake of doing it for them and the business, that's urgency. And those are the things that I think are, are a massive difference maker between people who make it in this business and people who have that laissez-faire attitude where it's like, Everything is just going to fall into line. It's going to be what it's going to be. And like that, that's, that's not the attitude we need in, uh, in this industry. And, and so that those points are part of building that culture that you want, that coaching culture. Can this stuff be taught? Can it be coached? Uh, some of it can, some of it can't. I mean, I don't think you, I'm, this is just my opinion anyway. Um, I don't think, sorry, I shouldn't say that I have a, I had a, uh, a, a 
VP once say, never deal in absolutes, which is kind of funny because he says never deal in absolutes. Anyway, um, I would say that it's harder on some things than the other. Um, but urgency is one that I find very hard to coach in people. They either are an, a, a person who, who wants it or maybe they don't want it as bad as the next person. And in this game, you're looking for the next person. Um, but a lot of these things can be coached like curiosity, for example, I believe that that can be coached because when you open the world to a, a young rep and you explain that a sales cycle is really just a watch, their eyes kind of light up. It's like, yeah, I get it. I need to know why all of these things are happening so that I can be better. Teach me how I understand how the dog, how the cog turns the dial, which turns the wheel, and then I'll go and do it. But my favorite thing it to see is when you've had a strategy session on a deal and you empower the AE to go and execute on the tactics and you can hear it and you can see it that they're actually using the coaching that you've done and you're like, you're on your way. Good for you. Like pass or fail, whatever happens, you put the, you put the, the first foot forward and you're on your way to, to achieving something greater than you have before. It's so not easy right you know when you see the light go off you're like wow okay that it, it, that clicks and it, it feels good as the coach as the leader to see that but let's face it that's the long game right that th this stuff doesn't happen overnight and you know heads of sales they're in their positions for on average 1.7 years how does one rationalize focusing on this coaching and developing when the pressure is there and you're on the clock. You know, it, that's a very sobering stat. And I think the CRO sales leader is 1.7 years. And I think the average tenure right now for an AE is 1.8 years. Think about that for a second. Like that's a cup of coffee and maybe dessert. That's, that is a stressful situation to be in as an employee in an organization, knowing that stat and people know that stat. Um, so it's very difficult, but the whole reason why we do these things, the whole reason why the rally call exists, the whole reason why this podcast exists is because we want to take that 1.8 and we want to make it five, six, eight years or however long the person wants to be there. Um, I don't think I've seen an era where there is more pressure right now. We're coming off post pandemic. There was a ton of hiring. There was a ton of money invested into tech. Um, there's a lot of pressure right now. And you do, you talk about the long game. I'm, I'm hearing things in, in the industry where people are working that, that we're putting too much pressure on AEs because we're not allowing them to ramp. So they're putting on full quotas onto people and they're not allowing them to ramp with a, for a new rep. So think about that. You're a new rep. You've come into the business. And you have a full quota for a year because the spreadsheet says that that's what you should do. And the AE is just trying to learn and grasp the value of what this product does. Meanwhile, on top of them, they have this massive weight of, of quota on top of them. So this is a very, very interesting era. So that's why I go back to the four pillars, right? The person who has that grit and that urgency and the resiliency and the coachability, those are the people who have those, uh, that, that DNA. Those are the ones that are going to shine through. Um, but I, I, I would do want to caution that I don't agree with loading on a ton of quota onto first year reps who are just learning. That's 
that's just a recipe for disaster, but that's a, a CFO's question. Yeah. And, and as a result, that pressure, um, it's like, okay, what about the deal? What about the deal? Big deal, small deal. We need all, we need all these deals. Um, and you know, people are part of the stress and the way it's expressed is people are in exit interviews are saying, uh, I was burned out. My, my manager only cares about the deal. They don't give a crap uh, about me. Um, my for, my one-on-ones, our team meetings, it all always turns into a, a forecast call. What do you say to those sales leaders that are perhaps too myopically focused on the deal? It's all about the deal. Well, the, the deal focuses the short game. It doesn't scale, right? It's a band-aid. The manager comes in and plays super rep and celebrates because maybe they closed some of the deals and the rep looks good, but nobody learned anything, right? I mean, there's a, there's a, because of the pressure that's out there, there's very little tolerance to let people fail. And in sales, especially for up and coming salespeople, you should let them fail to a point, right? Because then they learn, they learn from these things and then they get better. So we have to kind of embrace some of the things that it comes from. But when you have that type of pressure where it's all about the deal and then failure becomes this like absolutely terrible word, it puts so much pressure on them and, and the manager defaults to what we deemed as what we call super rep. And I tell you, like super rep never wins in the long run. It, it, it does it. And it, it robs people of their growth. Right. And so, you know, at least that's the way I'm looking at it. if I'm a manager and I have a bunch of folks on my team and I'm doing the job for them uh, and we're not talking about what what went well, what didn't, how you get better over time, they're being robbed of their professional development, which ultimately not only hurts them, but it hurts the company. It's uh, that negative flow upward, if you will. Um, Agreed. It, John, something that I know you care about and have put a lot of thought in, I, and you even have a podcast uh, episode about this, is QBRs, quarterly business reviews. So you've done them for, for many, many quarters. Uh, the folks on this, uh, the listening to this podcast, have too. Um, how has your approach to running QBRs changed over time? Uh, I remember back in the day when I when I first discovered the QBR when I was asked to put one together, and I remember looking at the deck, and it was basically one big forecast session. One big forecast session. There was no skill development. There was no learning. There was no focus on blowing up rocks that are stopping us from, from being successful. There was no feedback to other uh, lines of business. It was like one big forecast. And back in my day, you might uh, relate to this, but you'd meet in like Denver or Seattle and the whole group would go there. It would be like one three-hour session or two-hour session after the other, after the other, after the other. And everybody is so tuned out. Uh, by the end, but hey, there's dinner and drinks at the end, right? And I, I believe that elements of the old school QBR have just been passed down like folklore to like new sales reps. So in some instances, we still have elements of what those QBRs are. So we actually just did our first, I asked my, uh, my SVP, I said like, can I completely change the QBR deck and do something different for the team? And he said, and he's an awesome guy. And he said, absolutely, go ahead. Like, uh, like 
have, have it. And uh, so we created a different type of QBR where we focus in, on, of course, the forecast, but that's one slide. The rest of it is like an in-depth deal review with all of your peers where we walk through methodically our sales methodology. We, we hook up MedPick, which is just a diagnostic tool, and we come up with suggestions and ideas and next steps that could bolster the deal or, you know, in worst case scenario, walk away from the deal. But with everybody in the room, people are learning like, hey, in this section of the deal, do I know these things? Okay, if I don't, what's my strategy to get those things and how do I shore it up? So we did, uh, we've been in those for the last two days. And I asked people, I said, like, was this more valuable for you to learn something than the old deck? And they said, like, this was way better. And I can tell you, people were engaged in watching on, on the Zoom meetings. People were engaged and they were raising their hand and they were offering um, help to those in, uh, in some tricky deal situations. But I hope that they walk away with, hey, I have this opportunity and these are the things that I'm going to do to make it better and I'm going to apply them to the others. Because what's interesting in a sales management role or an AVP role is you become this conduit. You're like, hey, that happened over on this deal. And this happened on that deal. And that buyer looks like that buyer. So you can start to share the things that worked or or didn't work. And that's the type of discussion and environment that I thought people kind of really came out of their shell and were were very happy and very transparent to to share where they were in their in their um sales cycle and basically raise their hand and ask for help. I've um I've heard of a quote, something along the lines of leaders don't need to solve the problem. Great leaders define the problem and then bring the group together to help solve it. And uh, when you see what's going on, what's working, what's not from a, 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 a position where you have that type of perspective and you're doing something about it and bringing in those folks to collaborate, that's powerful. Everybody is growing. And so um, that's pretty cool. Hey, when you do that, so for example, you're breaking apart this account or, or this, this opportunity. And there's, let's say somebody clear that they're not talking to the right person. I've been in these QBRs where it's like, you're not talking to the right person. Like, no kidding. Like, but do you talk about how to get to the right person, how to, you know, different strategies that can be employed, different ideas, different things that have worked in the past? So what you just described nails, what I will call like my early life in sales with that type of sales management to this one. This isn't about going, hey, you're talking to the wrong person, then you move on. It's like, hey, I don't think the manager of systems administration is going to have the power to get this done. Who do they roll up to? And how do we identify who's the economic buyer? And after we've done that, let's come up with some ideas on how we can get a sign of life from them that they've blessed this uh, this project so you know that you're not wasting your time. What can we do? Here's some ideas. It's never just about going, hey, that's broken. It's about this may be broken. And here are some ideas of how we can fix it. And here are some ideas that worked in other sales cycles that you might try. Makes a ton of sense. And we're, ta we're, we're talking about a lot of uh, what I would call lessons learned here um, over the years. Maybe we covered it. Maybe we didn't. But John, what's one really important lesson you've learned along the way? when it comes to coaching and leading salespeople? Uh, 
and this is kind of a tough lesson to learn, but you have to be very careful with your words. We're dealing with humans and not everybody takes feedback in the same way. So I would say you lead with empathy to a point. And what I mean by to a point is that this is a two-way street. It takes a lot of time and effort to coach somebody. And as, and I am happy to coach and the team is happy to coach and everybody that, that in my circle who view themselves as, as coaches are happy to, but it has to be a two way street. If you're coaching and you're giving uh, advice and then you're listening to, to calls or you're seeing the outcome and it's, and it's continuing to go down a path where, where you know success doesn't lie, then maybe the person isn't coachable right? And they're so stuck in their ways that they're never going to come back. And in some cases, you have to be wary of that because it is a two-way street, but you got to be very careful with your words and you have to build people up and not tear them down. But in sometimes when the coaching isn't, isn't being adhered to, you know, sometimes if, you know, if the dog doesn't want to learn new tricks, you know, maybe you need a cat. <laughs> Love that. So uh, here's a, a dilemma that I find myself having conversations with a lot of sales leaders. John, talk a little bit, if you can, about the person who's crushing the number. He or she's nailing it. But no one knows why, because they're not coachable. They're not, they're not putting in the, the work. Uh, they're, they're, you know, let's call it, let's say toxic um, mm -hmm. in, the, in, the, in the locker room, but they're putting up the number. Is that something that we should be tolerating as leaders? Uh, you know, it, or, or do, I mean, do, we, do we just have to bite the bullet because we're putting up the numbers or does something need to be done there? I, I, I think it's a Jack Welsh two by two. And he has um, like in the top left hand, removed from business in the top bottom left, it's um, um, try to coach and scale. And then in the bottom right is, is already functioning, can move into a higher. And then in the top right, it's, it's, uh, the person who's doing really well, but's toxic to the business. And so the, he's like talked about this and it's, I think it's called the skill will matrix, but on the top right hand side, if you have somebody who's crushing it, but is absolutely toxic, no, you don't promote that person. No, you don't isolate them for, uh, for glory. In fact, he says that you consider moving them out because the, their level of, of performance is not worth the toxicity that they can bring to the team. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, easier said than, than done, but I think that's a, that can be a real issue out there. And I think a lot of leaders think they need to just suck it up, bite the bullet and deal with it because it's all about the numbers. And, uh, I like your perspective on that. That's good. So, John, um, you're at Absolute Software now. Um, you're uh, AVP, leading teams. Wh what brought you to Absolute Software? You know, what do you, what do you love about what you do? And by the way, what does Absolute Software do? Uh, we're an endpoint security, and we help organizations mitigate risk and increase compliance. That's what Absolute does. And I got there after my role at Galvanize, and I was at Galvanize for just under eight years. We started at about 30 or 40 million in ARR when I got there. Uh, we had a, a fantastic exit about two years ago where we were bought by Diligent Corporation for a billion dollars. It was a fantastic uh, achievement for the whole entire team. And then it was time to go and find a new adventure. 
And I have a saying, your network will always come for you. If you've built up a brand and you've built relationships with people, your network will always come for you. And in this situation, my network came for me. I had a, a bunch of really good people who were at Absolute, one in particular who I loved working with. Her name was Lucy Warira. She's probably the greatest uh, story in tech ever, but that's for another day. And she pinged me and she said, hey, we're looking for an AVP uh, for our business and you would be fantastic. And I think you'd really get along with the SVP of sales, who was Alan Sanderson at the time. And I met Alan a bunch of times and I thought that there was a great fit. And I thought that I could learn a lot from him because his, um, I would say he's very, very good operationally. And he has a very, very good mind for how sales uh, should happen. And I wanted to learn from him, and and, and I did. Awesome. And um, you're also uh, in your in all your free time, you started a podcast, the Rally Call. Um, talking, talk about that. What what drove that? Um, you come across so many learning lessons and life lessons in the game of tech, and. And, and first of all, the rally call isn't about like, you know, how to prospect better or, or how to have a better business conversation. It's about other things. It's, it's really about helping technology sales professionals have a more enjoyable career. As I said, there's a lot of uh, tips and there's a lot of pitfalls in this game. And I just want everybody in this industry, young and old, to understand the game that they're playing in every facet, either before they join or while they join. So that's really what the rally call is all about. Awesome. Uh, thanks for sharing. And we will link to that podcast in the, sh in the show notes. Um, John, in the past, you've talked about people in your neighborhood. Uh, what advice, what, what does that mean, uh, people in your neighborhood? And what advice would you give uh, to salespeople just starting out when it comes to that topic? Yeah, when, you, when you're in an organization, then you start to branch out in your career and you start going to other organizations, people seem familiar. And there's usually, you can break them down into different categories, right? There's the rising star. Uh, that's the person who's up and coming in the organization. There might be the falling star, the person who was once great, but is kind of waning. There's the empire builder who just, you know, wants it all. There's the even keel person who's just, we call them Switzerland, who doesn't really want to get involved, but whose vote could mean something. And you kind of got to like recognize all of these players in, uh, in the political landscape of the organization and then decide what like might be best for you. But my, my advice to anybody who's listening is, is this, this is the default. Always align yourself with people who demonstrate good values. That's the long game approach. If you align yourself with people who demonstrate good values, it will pay off. There will be times where you are tempted to align yourself with people who don't demonstrate good values, but that might be a short-term approach. Um, you know, you're going to be in your career for 25, 30, 35 years. I, I'm trusting that everybody can identify a good human being. Align yourself with good human beings because good human beings surround themselves with good human beings. And I can tell you when that happens and you get in that good human being circle, uh, it feels a lot better uh, being in the foxhole with those people for the long run. Yeah. Wow. Align yourself with good human beings. It sounds so basic, but it's, uh, we know um, it's not. There's all, it's all types out there. So speaking of good human beings, people who uh, are 
interested in coaching and developing people and focus on the long game, right? It's, it doesn't, it takes a lot of work, but usually people who do that, like yourself, um, had that behavior modeled for them. Uh, John, talk about a time when you've had uh, the benefit of good coaching and what impact did that have on you? I would, I would say that the person who stands out for me is the most, um, influential in my career, both personally and professionally is a person by the name of Randall Isaac. And I met him in 2000. So I've known him for 23 years. And I, I, I talk about aligning yourself with people who have good values and are good people. Like he's just inherently a good person and, and somebody who's a big pay it forward guy. So, I mean, I remember when there was a time at Galvanize where I was like, you're at your breaking point because this is a, this is hard. And I, I asked him to go for a coffee. I'm like, Randall, like, I don't know where I am with this. Like I'm pushing, I'm pushing and an experience happened there. And I'm like, maybe this is the time. And he just looked at me and goes like, look, this is where you need to bite down on the mouth guard and you got to just power through this thing. This thing is going to happen there. You don't want to miss out on what you believe is going to be an acquisition or an exit, and you got to power through this. You're close. Just keep on going. And he said, like, the hard work that you will do will get you through the tough spots. And that advice, I, honestly, it, it's probably what kept me at Galvanize for, for the eight years that, uh, that I was there. But it was just that, that simple sort of, you know, suggestion or tip that he said, it's like, sometimes you just got to be resilient and grit and you just got to power through this thing because the goal line's right there. You don't want to drop the ball now. And, and he was right. But the fact that I could call him and he could go, let's go for a coffee. Let me walk you through this thing. Like I'm good like that, th but that's who he is. And, and he's the type of person where his skill set is so vast and people will be talking to me about where they need help in their other technology business. And I'll say, oh, you got to talk to Randall. He's the king of this stuff. And he'll be like, yeah, sure. I'll take the call. Like that's the type of person he is. So my advice of aligning yourself with good people, sometimes they become your mentor and sometimes they help you out in situations where you're eternally grateful that, that, that they did. And you were at Galvanize for uh, approximately eight years. What, at what point did that conversation happen? Was that at seven and a half? Was it at two? Where was it? No, that was probably at six. Um, so it was, it was pretty late in the game and it was going well, but it was extremely challenging at that particular time. And he's, he just, you know, basically gave me the, uh, the proverbial hug and said, look, you're almost there. This is, this is going to be good for you. Bite down, continue to go. The payoff will be worth the hard work. And he was right. Sometimes you got to power through it. Sometimes you can't run. Sometimes you just got to go. And, uh, that was probably the one of the best pieces of advice I've had in my career. Well, that's great. And the other kudos to you though, because you ask for the help, right? There's a lot of people who have those mentors and those people that they can call, but for reasons, uh, you know, pride, whatever it is, like they feel like they need to know all the answers. They, fe they feel uncomfortable asking other people for help. Um, but like, look, um, like you said, that was a, a big event at Galvanize. And if you walked, if you took your ball and went home six years into it, you would have missed, missed out on something. And, and certainly the company would have missed out on, uh, on the leadership that you provided to them. So um, couple, a lot of, lot of different stories there. These are serious stories. Uh, I'm curious, though, John, 
I know when we talk and when I talk to other people that I've known for a long time in this business, we laugh at some of the stuff that actually happened. Like it's almost like it was a different world. Can, can, you, believe, can you believe this person said this, did this or whatever? Um, what's one of those hard to believe stories from long ago um, that seems like it might've happened even in a different world? Oh, I mean, think, I think we touched on it. Like been in this game for, I think t- about 25 years, 1998. So there's good math. Um, management was a lot different, uh, at least in some of the companies that, that I worked at. When they said jump, you said how high? And it wasn't about investing uh, in people to get results. It was about getting results at any cost. And I don't want to be too dramatic because it was, it was actually, uh, it's, it, the whole th- experience was fantastic, but sales cultures of yesterday are, are hopefully certainly gone. And, you know, I think that that's a good thing, but because today's sellers are looking for somebody to coach them and help them and jump in the foxhole with them and battle with them and not somebody yelling directions and orders from an ivory tower. And I, I, sometimes I look back on this and I'm like, like, I, like it's so different from, from what it was to, to what it is. And now I want everybody to be clear that, that, that you know, coaching is a two way street. And, and if you're willing to meet halfway, if you have a halfway decent, uh, director or sales manager, or VP, they'll meet you the other half and, and together you'll get to, you'll get a skill set and you'll, you'll develop into something greater. But. You know, uh, the, the anecdote is this, I would say, is that back in the day, it was all about you doing the deal on your own to show that you can get the deal done. And today it's you having the opportunity, bringing in others who can help you get it done. And as a team, you're going to bring that thing across the line. Because to your point, what you said earlier, back in the day, it, maybe it wasn't so cool to ask for help in this era of sales. Like I encourage people to ask for help. And I, I, I would say that that's probably the hard to believe story that I have. Yeah. I, I remember the, the, the mantra, never lose a deal alone. And the, my, and my hindset behind that was if the deal was going South, make sure you got your manager in there, made sure you got a, other, a bunch of other people in there. So there was shared responsibility, but you already knew it was going South. It wasn't, Hey, you know, sales is a team sport, you know, let's win, let's collaborate. It wasn't the positive. It was more, it was more the negative. So you, you just triggered that memory. So, uh, John, look, we've learned a lot about a, a lot today. We, we talked about curiosity. We talked about resiliency. We talked about coachability. We talked about the importance of having mentors and, and asking, uh, for help and the benefit that, you know, that can have and, you know, biting down harder on the mouth guard and, and persevering through it. Um, so that's awesome. Um, if people are interested in learning more about what's going on at Absolute or your podcast, like how can they find out more about John Fellman and, and contact you? Uh, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. You can always uh, add me and connect me. I'm, I, I do a bunch of mentoring and coaching for young people who are getting into this industry. In fact, I, I, I help uh, a couple earlier this spring land their first jobs as uh, as SDRs, and so I'm happy to assist people with that. Look, this is a tough game. It has highs and it's lows, and is not for everybody. But for those who are considering a role in tech sales or sales in general, having a growth mindset and having a mindset that you are coachable and open to feedback, and you are just this this sponge who wants to learn and grow, 
uh, you will succeed at this game. But ask yourself, do you have the curiosity, the urgency, the resiliency, and the coachability to make this happen? And if you do and step up, um, if you don't think about it, because this takes uh, dedication, practice, perseverance, and grit. It's not easy. It's not for everybody. But man, when you nail it, it's freaking awesome. Amen to that. We're going to leave that right there. John, thanks a lot. I really enjoyed the conversation today. Thank you, sir. Talk to you soon. All right. And um, for all of you out there, thanks a lot for listening. If you've learned something today, if you've laughed a little bit, if you think somebody would like to hear it, share the podcast with others. Go in uh, to Coach to Scale um, on YouTube. It's on any place you would consume podcasts. Hit the subscribe button. Go look for some other episodes. And uh, don't hesitate to reach out and let me know what you think. It's been my pleasure to host this conversation on behalf of Coach to Scale. And until next time, coach them if you want to keep them. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Coach to Scale, How Modern Leaders Build Coaching Cultures. For show notes and other episodes, visit us at coachem.io. That's C-O-A-C-H-E-M dot I-O. And follow us on Twitter at coachemnow. See you all next week. Thanks for joining. And remember, coach them if you want to keep them.